Good morning. Good to see you this morning. We're thankful to that we can come. What's up? We've had some really sweet worship the last few weeks, and I've just been so thankful for that. And thank you for singing along at home, and thank you for singing downstairs. We, we hear you. We know that you're singing along and lifting praises to God. And so we're glad that you are, we are able to worship the Lord together this morning. If you would, turn into 2 Peter. We're continuing our series of Stand Firm, and yet uh, we are starting a new letter. And I'm going to tell, kind of explain why we feel that Stand Firm or this theme is proper to continue in the second letter of Peter. Uh, there's a lot of people that say, well, you know, uh, why is there two letters? Uh, why is there three letters of John? And uh, did every time that John and Peter or Paul or whoever sat down and write out a letter, it was inspired or, or that it was God's word? Actually, no. Uh, here in 2 Peter, we actually know that there were other letters that Peter had wrote to the churches. And we know that there were other letters that Paul wrote to, the, to different churches. We know that there were other letters that John wrote and Mark wrote and Matthew wrote and all these things. But what it confirms is, is that there was only 27 books or letters that rose to the level of being fully inspired by God. And that we know that Christians that God inspired exactly what God wanted us to have. Because if it was otherwise, some people say that, that Christianity is a made-up religion, that, that they just kind of picked and choose uh, the books of the Bible. Well, that's not the case. Uh, if they wanted to pick and choose, then, then they would say something like, John, everything that came out of John's pen was, was inerrant and infallible. And we, we had the religion of John, or we had the religion of Paul, or the religion of Peter. Everything they wrote had to be God's word. It had to be part of the Bible. But that's actually not the truth. They knew what the difference between inspired word of God was. And thankfully, we have the full 27 books of the New Testament. Not 28, not 29, not 40, 27, the ones fully inspired by God. And so that gives us hope when we go to the Bible because we know exactly what we are reading is inspired by God without any mixture of error and exactly what we need for faith and practice to follow God. Today, we're going to look at 2 Peter and what Peter's challenge in his first letter to the Asian churches was stand firm. You're going to be persecuted. There's going to be people out to get you. You're going to suffer. You need to stand firm while you're suffering. Well, 2 Peter is a little different. He is now saying stand firm because there were attacks from the outside of the church on you, but now stand firm because there's attacks on the inside of the church. There's false teaching and false beliefs, and you need to stand firm on the gospel once delivered by the saints, the gospel that is true, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to stand firm and watch out for these false teachers. That's a summary, a little bit of a summary of 2 Peter. And today, as we look at what we're going to, to see these first 11 verses of chapter 1, we're going to see that Peter is telling us, challenging us to stand firm and be godly. 
Stand firm and be godly. So let's read beginning in verse one of, cha- uh, verse one of chapter one of 2 Peter. Or for those who like it the other way, 2 Peter chapter one, verse one through 11. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has been given us every great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature escaping the corruption that is in this world because of its evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray as we come and stand on your word that it is true, that it has power to change us, it is the power to save, and Lord, from us to know you better and fully. Lord, I pray that everyone here and at home and in the fellowship hall expects to hear from you today and that when we leave, we will never be the same again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, it is important that we grow. And it's important that many times that we think about growing and how we are going to grow. There was a mom who was driving and her little four-year-old daughter was in the back seat. And uh, this lady happened to be a doctor. And her little four-year-old reached over into the seat next to her. She had the mom had left her stethoscope out unknowingly, and, and the, the little four-year-old began to play with it and look at it and put it around her neck and, and just sort of kind of just continue to play with it. And, and the mom's mind started to wonder as she was driving. She was thinking, oh, look at my daughter back there. She's playing with my stethoscope. She's, uh, she's starting to take interest. I wonder, maybe she'll follow in my line. Maybe she'll become a doctor one day and maybe she'll tell people that that I inspired her to take care of others and and maybe she'll maybe she'll grow in my footsteps man would be something if she would grow up to be just like me and maybe we could do practice together and the, the mom's daydreaming got interrupted when she was glanced in the back seat in the mirror and saw the the daughter take the stethoscope and said took it and put it up to her mouth and said welcome to McDonald's may I have your order (laughs) you know every doctor's visit and and well visit every 
Every visit we have from my three-month-old to my 10-year-old, we get a growth chart. We leave the building with a growth chart, seeing how, we ha- how the child has progressed. It is something that we know that we must understand and see that growing is important, that, that we think about what is it going to be like in the future, how will we grow in the same way we as Christians are to understand that once we are saved, we are to grow in godliness. Peter in his second letter is speaking to false teachers. And we'll talk more about that in a few weeks. But these false teachers were speaking a gospel that said, once you come to knowledge of Jesus, a special knowledge and Gnosticism, that once you come to knowledge of Jesus, then you don't have to live like, like the Bible speaks. Once you've obtained this special status, you don't have to worry about that, the, the word or the law or the Bible or, or any of the ways that you have to live ethically. You just live how you want because you have ascended above all of this that is here on earth. And so you've gained this special knowledge. Well, Peter directly confronts this and saying that we as Christians, as the church in the first century and us today, must not take and understand this teaching to be true. We know that as believers, we have been saved by grace, but that yet we are to continue to grow in grace and to grow in godliness. And unfortunately, just as it was in the first century, so too has this false teaching infiltrated Christianity and the churches. Many today will say that, that if you are in Christ, it doesn't matter how you live or what you, what you do. You don't have to follow God's commands. That's just antiquated stuff. You don't have to follow that. But just understand this. Jesus said that we must grow and bear much fruit. It's important that we are growing and growing in godliness. Let me ask you today, do you feel as though that you have grown in godliness here in 2020? It's been a very difficult year for many of us. Can you look back and think that I've taken steps of growth in in godliness? Have you taken your foot off the pedal? Or have you just since been lazy in your growing in godliness? Are you hoping your proximity to church or Christian things or because of your salvation that for some reason you're in an automatic growth? Friends, there is no evidence of this in scripture or in nature. When we brought Parker home, it was important that we saw him growing and gaining weight But it wasn't that we left him on his own to grow. It wasn't that he would just grow automatically. We had to actively feed him for him to grow. For now, Isabella, who's learning to take care of herself, uh, if we want her to, to use the potty or to change clothes, it is not that we hope, okay, she's gonna stumble into this one day and she's gonna figure it all out. No. There is an active teaching and learning and and speaking truth and growing. There is something that we must do to grow. And brothers and sisters, you cannot grow in godliness passively. So today I want us to see how we, three reasons we must actively grow in godliness. Three reasons we must actively grow in godliness. 
Number one is this, if you're taking notes at home, we have received the power and promises to grow in godliness. Well, verse one through four is sort of an introduction, but there's a lot of interesting and important, powerful truths that we can mine, mine from this. But let me summarize these first four verses in this way. For those who have been saved by fully knowing God, he has given them resources to live a godly life. Let me say that again. For those who have been saved by fully knowing God, he has given them the resources to live a godly life. We see this summarized in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. You know, one time uh, when I was in my 20s, I took on a job as a janitor. And I was cleaning this workout facility, this, uh, uh, and, uh, and I was the weekend janitor. And so I would go in, and I was supposed to clean the, the restrooms, the floors. I mean, I was supposed to clean everything top to bottom. Uh, and after a while, you know, the, the, they had a, the owners had a very high standard of what they wanted the cleanliness to look like. And, and so, so I tried to reach that standard. I wanted people to be amazed when they walked in here and they walked in the restrooms and they walked in the place. But something that I found after a couple weekends that I didn't have the tools necessary. The hose wasn't long enough to reach over to this place. The, the cleaning solution wasn't doing what I needed it to do. Everything that I wanted to do was being hampered by the tools that I was given. And unfortunately, I just got frustrated and said, I'm not going to do this anymore because I cannot have those tools to do and get the job done. Well, here's good news for us. God has called us to a life to live of godliness. But he's given us all the tools and abilities necessary to do it. We are guaranteed by the work of Jesus Christ that when we are saved, that he has given us the resource to live godly lives. Now, how do we do this? First of all, we have the resource of being saved by grace. That in this powerful moment, in this powerful knowledge of salvation, that we have been made new. And notice here in verse 2 that, uh, that Peter writes, May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And again in verse 3, through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory. Now this isn't just a mental ascension to know God. And this is a, actually a compound word in the Greek that helps us to know full knowledge of God, the full knowledge of his grace. This knowledge is not possibly thinking that God exists or maybe even agreeing that God exists or that maybe even thinking and getting to the point of saying, I believe that God had a son, Jesus. Those are important facts that we need to know. But what Peter is speaking here is the full knowledge of the grace of God. That it is knowing God and knowing who he is, but also knowing him as Savior and Lord. Knowing him fully, knowing that him as the, the God of grace who, who, who 
murdered his son on the cross, that 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 death paid for the penalty of sins, that, that he raised him on the third day, that because of this, all of us, but particularly me as an individual, knows that I was a sinner and my only hope was knowledge and knowing personally God as Savior. And this knowledge helps us to to be saved, to be born again, to start anew, to live a life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this Spirit in us then allows us to do something that no one else can do, that we can live godly lives. And even though Peter points out that there are false teachers saying, you don't have to be holy, Peter is saying, "Uh, um, excuse me, Jesus taught me. I know Jesus, and Jesus said that I must bear much fruit. I know that Jesus did not save me to stay the way that we are. Have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount? Bro, I was there. And there is a call to godliness that Jesus has called us to. But Peter says, I'm not leaving you here to just hope that you might one day be godly. Peter gives us this wonderful promise that Jesus, that God has given us both his power and his promises that we might grow in godliness. That God has given us everything that we need. That he has given us his power. That the Holy Spirit within us, we, we we have been given his divine nature that we may grow and set aside sin and grow in righteousness. Philippians 3.12, excuse me, Philippians 2.13 says this. Paul writes, for it is God who is working in you both to will and work according to his good purpose. Well, that's good news, isn't it? Because even though my flesh and my heart and my desires fail to want to grow in godliness, who is working in me? God is. God is working this godliness in me. God is working in me. And we have his power, but also we have his promises. We have the promises to know that when we fail, he still forgives us. Boy, isn't that a precious promise? Because as a growing Christian, we're going to stumble and we're going to fall. And Isabella's been walking and running for a long time now, but she still falls. And that doesn't discourage her to stop running or stop moving or stop doing things because she knows she can get up and do it again. And that is the good news for us, that we have these promises that God has said, here is your power, here is forgiveness, here are all these things that help you to grow in godliness. And that one day, this wonderful promise that he will make us perfect. Philippians 3.12, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, But I make every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if you have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus, you have the power and promises to grow in godliness. So why is this good news? Well, if you're struggling today, you have the power to cast off sin and grow in godliness. If you're struggling with anger and frustration, good news, believer, 
You have the power of God to set aside anger and walk in joy. If you are negative and critical as a believer, good news, you have the power to overcome. If you are stuck in sexual sin or you are stuck in an addiction to pornography or, or other things, good news, believer, you have the power of God within you to walk a godly life and not be condemned by your past, but instead walk in a way that glorifies God. But it's also, this is good news, right? This is good news. But it's also challenging news. Because this moves all aside any excuse to be lazy in our walk with God. If you were to say, you know what, I just, I just don't think I can do it. I, I just don't think so. I'm going to just be passive and hope that one day I'm going to grow or one day it's going to work out or one day I'm going to be more patient or one day I'm going to be less angry. Or, uh, you're fooling yourself because you have been given the secret codes to a power of nuclear proportion in the cosmos of the power of the Holy Spirit of God who lives in you. And you have no excuse but to depend on him and depend on the Holy Spirit to grow in godliness. If you have, it is like you've taken the power of God and stuffed him in the basement storage for another day. How dare us be so lazy in growing in our godliness? Brother and sister, we must live godly lives because we have the power and promises of God that enable us. But secondly... We are to make every effort to pursue godliness. There is a command, there is an understanding that we must make effort in our godliness. Now, John Piper shares a story of some books that he read to his children called Glenda's Long Swim. It's an incredible series. And one of the stories that he talks about that, that captivated him was there was a, a, a woman named Glenda and his wife, Robert, who um, was ship, uh, fishing off a yacht off the coast of Florida. And they were fishing, and Glenda decided she was going to swim while he was fishing on the other side of the boat. And after a while, uh, the currents started to take her away. She didn't realize it. And, you know, sometimes in the water, in the ocean, you can just be swimming and not realize, you know, you get in the, in the beach or the, the ocean here and then you're swimming and you realize, you look, and then the people that you were, you know, down beside or whatever was way down there, you just don't pay attention. Well, the same thing happened to her. She was, she was, she was a long way away from the boat. And she started to swim, and she started to, she started to gasp and yell out. And, and before her husband thought about it, and started taking the boat over to her, he just panicked and jumped in the water to go save her. So he goes over, he's a very strong swimmer, and they started to swim and they realize his, he realizes his mistake and realizes after trying for a while that the boat was getting further away, not closer away. And so uh, as they struggled, he said, he said, look, I'm a stronger swimmer, let me go try to swim against the, the tide, and I'm going to go back to the boat. You stay here and just float. Just, just float. Don't wear yourself out. Just float. 
and I'm going to come back and get you. And so that's what he does. He, he struggles. For four hours, he struggles against the tide and finally makes it to the boat. But at that point, it was dark, and he couldn't find his wife. So he went, and they went back and got the Coast Guard. They went and did everything. And the next morning, they did a search for his wife. Amazingly, Glenda had floated overnight, but where they found her was 20 miles out to sea. She was safe. But, but here's, here's the lesson. There is a lesson, I promise. She floated. She was passive. She let the tide take her wherever she was supposed to go. And what it illustrates is this, is Christians who just float never stay in the same place. And if we just as believers float and never work to grow in godliness, brother or sister, not only does the winds of this world and our flesh take us away but it could take us away to very destructive places. And Christians, as we read these verses, think about what it is calling us to do. In verse 5, it says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with loves. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. As we read this and understand Christians who disobey verses 5 through 7 and do not apply them with diligence, drift into great peril. What is the warning here? That you're blind and short-sighted. If you just think that you can float in the Christian life and, and hope that you're going to grow or, or things are going to become more joyful or you're going to become mature in your faith. I wish I had time to to go into detail into this list, but it's very similar to the list of the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Knowledge and self-control and endurance and godliness and brotherly affection and love. These are qualities that we know the Bible tells us that we should be putting on. Remember, the Bible tells us that, yes, as we have been given the power of the Spirit, we have this power to take off sin, but we also have this power to be putting on. I think many times we stop at the taking off bit and we think, well, if I just watch my mouth and don't say too many bad words or if I, if I stop watching this thing or that, if I stop doing this or doing this, then I'm going to conquer. But brother and sister, I, I've been there and I've realized taking off does not grow me in godliness. What does the prescription the Bible tells us that then we now put on? that we put these qualities on that God has given us, patience and knowledge and self-control and goodness and all these wonderful gifts. And therefore, as the scriptures help us to see, is that when we are saved, we do not judge someone's genuineness of their salvation on how close they are in these qualities, but how hard or even if 
the Christian is stroking and trying to reach and obtain these things. The Christian understands that there is evidence that God's power has been given to you. Yes, that's what we've just read, that God's power has been given to us. But in verse 5, what does it say? For this reason, if God's power has been given to you, then you should use that power. You should be putting on these things, that you should join God. As a matter of fact, uh, this, uh, the, the word that says supplement is, is a word that means uh, uh, there are those who uh, in, uh, in Broadway and put on shows, there are people who help fund the shows. They help give money. They, they give money to help start the shows. Well, what this word is saying is that you are supplementing, you are adding in that you are being part of what God has done in your life. Now, notice, it's not your ability, right? It's the power that God has given you. So it's possible as we do this that we must be part, that, that our faith has laid the foundation of our salvation, that we have been saved, we have been made righteous, but that all the while we are adding brick by brick to our salvation of a house of the Holy Spirit and temple God's in, that we lay on endurance, we lay on patience, we lay on godliness. This evidence shows how we are striving in grace. And it is possible, unfortunately, for us to be saved and grow indifferent and unfeeling and careless that might drift into destruction. We do not become automatically virtuous people. That, that automatically happens. We must make every effort, Peter says. Charles Spurgeon said this, people are not saved by their efforts, but on the other hand, grace saves no one to make him like a log of wood or a block of stone. Grace makes people active. God has been diligently at work with us. Now we must diligently work together with him. So brother and sister, here's the application. Are you making every effort today towards moral excellence? Are you right now making every effort to grow in the knowledge of God's character and his will? Are you making every effort to strengthen your ability and power of self-control? Are you making every effort to cultivate godliness in your life? Are you making every effort to grow in the warm affection of your fellow believers? Are you making every effort to stir up love in your will for the person you dislike the most? If these things are increasing in you, what is this wonderful promise in verse 8? You will not, if you possess these qualities, they will not keep you from being useless. You will not be unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That in verse 11, you will be entering into the eternal kingdom of Christ. But if these things are not your earnest concern, then it is because you have shut your eyes to the beauty of God's promises 
and had forgotten the humble exhilaration of being forgiven. What is the reason, he says? Because you have forgotten the cleansing of your past sins. See, brothers and sisters, the gospel is also the way we live. We keep going back and remembering all that God has done in us. And if God has wiped away our past, wiped away our sin, then we want to keep the house the way that God gave it to us. We want to keep it godly. We want to strive for godliness. So number three, our growth in godliness is confirmation of our future in Jesus. In verse 10 and 11, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and brotherly affection and love, these are not the wages that are paid for our entrance into the eternal kingdom. But, but, they are necessary evidence that our trust in God's promise is genuine and the way that we confirm our election and our calling. When we produce these fruits, we are confirming in our lives our affection and our love and our allegiance to God. It is a profound mystery that God should invite people to come to him. But when we discover him and discover that Jesus has chosen us, even before we were born, we were chosen to bear much fruit. Now, doubts can rise when Christians display inconsistent behavior or allow themselves to be sucked in the ways of the world, but we realize what God has done and is doing, and that should lead the lazy Christian to repent and return to their loving, heavenly Father. We must understand this gift given to us and fight diligently until we cross the finish line of heaven. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about to which you have made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So to summarize, those who are in Christ keep looking back to the privileges we have received in Christ, receiving the divine nature of Christ himself, And then we seek a life worthy of it. So that when we are at the finish line of our faith, when we reach eternity in God, he welcomes us knowing we have been good stewards of the sacrifice of grace he has given us. It is like a marathon runner sprinting and coming across the finish line and and surrounded by all the people who who have come alongside them, help them train, help them get there. They are celebrating what has been done when we run the race and we receive it. We are welcomed by our Heavenly Father who gave us the power to run the race who gave us forgiveness to enter heaven and who gives us the ability to run and reach godliness, welcomes us home. Brothers and sisters, 
We must strive for godliness. So what area in your life do you need to grow? I want to just speak to someone who may be here or at home is discouraged in your walk with Christ. You have been discouraged because you've tried to grow and your, your flesh and your faith is weak or, or you keep stumbling back. Well, I want you to hear this. Peter wrote this knowing and experiencing failure. He knew that, he, that somebody might read this and think that all is lost. I haven't lived, lived up to what I should be or how I should live. Remember, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane told the disciples to stay alert and pray. What were the disciples doing? Snoring over in the corner. Peter was one of those. Then the guards came to arrest Peter. And what does Peter do? <laughs> he swipes off an ear of one of the soldiers. Just the next morning, just a few hours later, what is Peter doing? He is denying Jesus as Lord. I don't think Peter would say that he grew in godliness very well. But what Peter says to you and says to me, that if I have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ and he's forgiven me, imagine the wonder of being accepted into a place where we have already failed and fallen. But that is what we get in Jesus Christ, that he accepts us and he loves us. And I know we failed Jesus. I know you failed Jesus. I know I failed Jesus. But now I know hope and grace, and we can strive as we go on our path to heaven. Maybe you're searching for Christianity today. I want you to hear this. We labor for virtue not because God has already, uh, we, excuse me, we labor for virtue because God has already worked in us and is at work in us. We can't reverse the order. We, we believe another gospel if we think that. If, we, if I say I will work out my salvation in order that God might work in me, that is, that is a false gospel. But the good grace to us is that God is already and has been and has saved us and already made us positionally righteous in him. And now, therefore, I strive with every effort to work out hope and faith in him. So call out to Christ today. If you don't have him as a personal Savior and Lord, you can meet a Savior who loves you, who redeems you, has called you and made you his own and enables you to now live a godly life in him. And once you are born again, we now run to a new goal, a goal of a godly life in honor of God. Let us take this and let us be reminded of this call on our life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for these words of both grace that is a calming balm to our hearts, knowing that we are forgiven and knowing that by grace we are saved, that our, we will not lose our salvation because of what we have done, but God, in order to celebrate, give glory, and, and show our, the work that you have done in us, we will grow in godliness. 
God, I pray for those of us here, including myself, who have been lazy in areas of our life in growing in godliness. I pray for those of us who, who have who've just stopped and floated and hoping that, that somehow we'll grow in godliness. I pray that we will make every effort as we have been called to make. And for the discouraged heart, I pray that the grace of Jesus Christ will overwhelm them. And that, Lord, we will see that our failures does not take us away from you. But when we, when we admit our failures, that's when we are brought near. I pray this in Jesus Christ. Amen.